if this sounds like a uh, an award-winning, you know, NPR-level podcast this week, you will have technology to thank. It won't because I'm still hosting it. But um, new microphone, new uh, new laptop. We're cooking with gas this week, Sam. Yeah, there was somebody who tweeted this week. I wish I could remember who or what the exact wording of the tweet was, but they said every podcast is sounding more and more like NPR these days. And I was starting to think that we don't. <laughs> so are we either missing out or are we still unique in that way? I did not even um, see that. And now I feel like a hack for my joke. But, you know, <laughs> this this microphone that I got, it's very uh, it's very nice microphone. and But I can tell like it. In my headphones, it sounds like I'm on fresh air. Like I can hear all of the little, like, if I rattle a piece of paper in the background. <laughs> okay. Like, so all right. I couldn't get a piece of paper to rattle quickly enough. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm just very excited. It's a Christmas morning around here when you're a podcast nerd and you get new podcasting equipment. I'm very excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's like our version of getting called up. Like, this is the closest <laughs> we get on this podcast to improving our quality and, doing new things and fancy things that we get new equipment. At least you do. I still have the same old microphone. Oh, well. Apologies on my end if I'm not pulling the weight of this battery this week. Well, the good news is Sam pulls the weight of being the intelligent and good one to listen to on the podcast, so we trade things off. Uh, And with that, we welcome you into this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. This is episode number 157 of the show, and uh, we are really excited to catch up here in just a little bit with the second-ranked prospect in the Oakland Athletics organization, Jesus Luzardo. And uh, Sam, we kind of touched on this before we talked to Jesus, but in Toolshed a couple of weeks ago, sort of pointed out, like, man, Jesus Luzardo, 20 years old, he's going to high A, seems like an aggressive assignment, which it did. He makes three starts there, and he's already in double A. What? Yeah. Yeah, I think part of that, and we didn't really get into this in, in the interview with him specifically, not that I think he would have any insight to it necessarily, but I think a good part of that is just getting him out of the Cal League. Like, all right, oh, you yeah. showed yourself, you proved yourself. Before we get you to Lancaster and you know some of these other really offensively friendly environments and see so you get hit for eight runs, not that I'm saying he would, but like the potential is definitely high uh, there. Um, get him out while his confidence is good and, and have him work with, you know, double A hitters and see what kind of feedback he gets from that. And feedback's already good. So I'm excited to see what comes of, of him next. And uh, I'm excited to see what happens when he works with Sean Murphy there with Midland, uh, one of the best defensive catching prospects in the game. That could be a really interesting partnership and one of the best in the minors. So A's fans get excited and uh, whoever you are and wherever you tuned in, we thank you for finding the show before the show podcast. You can check us out at MILB.com slash podcast. You can find us on Apple podcasts and google play and everywhere else you get your podcasts and uh if your service enables you to leave us a rating and a review and a subscription and we would be ever so grateful you can get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com sam's on twitter at sam dykes or milb i am at tyler mon and with that we'll get started on three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show in which we discuss three burning topics in minor league baseball week to week and uh this week we might as well just turn it over to Sam to talk uninterrupted for like the next three hours <laughs> about his boy, Ronald Acuna, the second rank, for all intents and purposes, the first rank prospect in all of baseball. Shohei Otani is technically number one, but we've covered that so often. Kind of a prospect. Ronald Acuna, 20 years old, same age as Jesus Luzardo, actually, is headed up to the major leagues. He will start today for the Atlanta Braves. We're recording on Wednesday. Um, this is big news, obviously, for the Braves. 17 games in AAA. Terrific spring training performance goes down, doesn't really impress that much, and still gets the call. So you can make of that what you will. But Ronald Acuna, I mean, this is the step that everybody expected uh, to be right around this time of the season. Obviously, Sam, and your initial reaction to this? Yeah, it's been such a weird roller coaster ride of a month, really, with Ronald Acuna, you know, Junior. Given what we thought we would see from him in this first month. Uh, at AAA Gwinnett, you know, coming off that really strong Grapefruit League season, uh, coming off that AFL MVP he won in the fall, coming off being our, you know, Milby breakout prospect of the year after climbing three levels in 2017. Um, you know, we really expected him to be hot the first couple of weeks, bang down the door to Atlanta. Um, you know, we were all going to have that 
discussion about whether he should be up already. We were already having that going into opening day. He probably should have been their opening day left fielder no matter what. Um, but because of service time and they're trying to get another year of free agency out of him because of the way the CBA is set up, uh, you know, we knew it was going to be pushed deeper into April when he would finally get called up. Then he doesn't do so hot coming out of the gate. Tyler kind of mentioned that. If you look at his overall numbers right now, at the time of his call-up, he was hitting 232 with a 321 OBP and a 304 slugging percentage, uh, one homer and two doubles in 17 games. Not exactly screaming, this is a guy who needs to see major league pitching right now. But, you know, as we talked about, I think, last week on the podcast, you know, for him to come up, it would have to be at a time when he's hot. And he really did start to show signs of that, you know, despite the overall numbers. Uh, he went 11 for 33 with a homer, a double, three stolen bases in his final eight games with Gwinnett before getting this call. Basically, you know, Atlanta just wanted to see him get some success before they they brought him up. They know what he's capable of. They know he's capable of catching fire at any moment. They know his defense is definitely going to play in the majors uh, no matter what. So he's going to be giving some defensive value there. Um, you know, and it's going to be a less demanding position in left field. They're not going to have to use his arm as much, but it's certainly going to work there. Seeing him play next to Ender Inciarte is going to be really fascinating. Um, but, you know, he, he ticked off those boxes. He started to do exactly what they wanted to see. Uh, and now they're ready to give him almost basically a, a full major league season. Um, not enough, obviously, to to get around or, you know, not enough for him to get to free agency a year earlier than he would have otherwise. But, uh, you know, he's still going to be right in the thick of things probably with the NL Rookie of the Year discussion once he starts actually piling up major league statistics and all that. So, um, yeah. It, you know, we were just talking about this, like I said, you know, what, why haven't they called him up yet? Well, he hasn't done the X, Y, and Z, and that's surprising because he's Ronald Acuna and he's done every other letter of the alphabet. Um, and, and to see him turn it around this quickly and for the Braves to trust him this quickly and say, you know, they could have easily played the game where it was like, okay, well, we need to see him do it over a longer stretch now because we've seen him struggle. Um, you know, and now all of a sudden we're talking about Super 2 with him and holding him back till June. Maybe a more cynical organization would have done that. Um, and I'm not saying the, the Braves are already cynical. Again, this is a team that probably should have given him the opening day left field spot. But, um, you know, they know what they have in him. They know they have, like we said, the, the top prospects in the minor leagues at the time of his promotion. Get him out there. Get him challenged. Get him while he's hot, while he's as confident as he can be. And I'm really excited to see w what's going to happen here. Uh, you know, we obviously live in an age where everybody gets excited about prospects in certain systems. Now you get more excited for the prospects than you do the major league talent. I get that. So a lot of people already know what Acuna is and what he can be. Um, we're not breaking any new ground here, even though, you know, we've covered him since the very early days. Um, but to get him on the biggest stage possible is, I think, really exciting. And, uh, you know, he's going to do a lot of things that are going to make highlights this year, whether it's on the base pass, whether it's in the field, whether it's at the plate, what have you. Um, you know, he's going to be plugged into that stack cast system. And I'm really excited to see what numbers those spit out with somebody like him, again, only at 20 years old. Um, so, yeah, that process starts now. Uh, really excited to see what happens with him and what this means for the Braves overall. You know, Ozzie Albies and, and Dan P. Swanson having really strong seasons up the middle. Uh, Ciarte still there. Matt Whistler is be looking as good as he's ever looked. Uh, Fultinowitz, Newcomb showing some signs of promise. You know, this is a Braves team that for a while now we've said is ready to pop. And this is the guy, the cornerstone that they're hoping to build around for years. Now he's in Atlanta. Uh, let's see what happens next and what this means for this organization. Well, strike two kind of dovetails off of, uh, can you dovetail off of? I think you can only dovetail into. Anyway, uh, it goes along with this uh, opening topic. Ronald Acuna, a guy we're talking about, and Jesus Luzardo, a guy who we will talk to. Those couple of guys on the fast track as far as prospects go. Ronald Acuna last year soared through three levels in that system. Uh, Jesus Luzardo has already started this year at a level we thought was extremely advanced, and he's graduated from it after three starts there. Um, who else around the, the prospect world right now, Sam, do you see as as being worthy of a similarly accelerated track in their development. Yeah, this one's kind of interesting because, um, you know, every organization is different. So there's a lot of things you have to kind of use into this equation. And I'm not going to say the two guys who might be coming to a lot of your people's minds, which is, you know, Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette, they're already on the fast track. I don't want to say, you know, I'm not going to be breaking new ground by saying a guy who's 19 and a guy who's 20 are already at double A. 
um, that they could be pushed to the majors this year. I think we've said plenty about that. The one I'm going to throw out there is the number one overall pick from last year in Royce Lewis. Um, you know, I don't have any inside information on this. I'm not saying, you know, I think the Twins are aggressively going to push him. And I actually, part of me is wondering what the Twins philosophy is right now. They've held back Nick Gordon and Steven Gonzalez. Uh, they're both at Double A Chattanooga after performing well there last year, so they have been kind of passive with their top prospects, at least at the upper levels. But Lewis is somebody who last year they gave 36 games to at the you know at the Gulf Coast League. That's kind of expected. He was coming out of high school. That's the way that works. But then they jumped him straight over rookie level rookie level Elizabethton, uh, put him into full season ball for 18 games at Cedar Rapids. And he performed pretty well, hit 296 with a 757 OPS. Um, you know, that, that's good for a guy who is still 18 now. He's not going to turn 19 until June. Um, they move him back to Cedar Rapids, again, not wholly unexpected. Um, but we're getting to the point now where, you know, he could conceivably end the year at Fort Myers, at Class A Advanced, uh, as a 19-year-old, and then – you know, what does that mean for his 2019? You know, does he start out at Chattanooga? Does he start out at Fort Myers? How quickly can he exactly move up? Um, you know, he is a shortstop right now. Some people think he, he'll eventually move to center field. The higher he gets up, he could eventually bump into Gordon uh, if he climbs quickly. But he continues to just answer all the questions everywhere they put him. And they've been a little bit aggressive, uh, you know, Gordon and Gonzalez aside, They've been aggressive with their 2017 picks. Uh, you know, Lewis last year, they sent Brent Rooker this year to start at double A. Um, you know, he's an advanced college bat. That kind of makes sense for him. But still, you know, usually you start your college guys at high A, even if they are, you know, advanced senior signs like like Rooker was. Um, so, you know, they're, they're willing to push this crop. Um, this is a Minnesota team that's looking to kind of contend now. You know, they're making big signings. Jose Barrios is becoming a legit ace for them. Uh, Byron Buxton is becoming a legit superstar for them. They want to make the most of this window while they have it and while they have tons of guys under team control. Um, and, and not saying Lewis is going to be there as a teenager necessarily in the, as a major leaguer, but, you know, he's hitting 300 right now in 10 games for Cedar Rapids. Rapids basically doing all the same stuff he did last year. Uh, he's a speedy guy that's going to play pretty much anywhere. That's not going to be really that much of a worry for him. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him end this year at high A Fort Myers still in his teen years. And then we're questioning, you know, what does that mean for his track going forward? Uh, you know, again, this stuff is kind of difficult to predict. Even last year, I wouldn't have said Acuna was going to be a guy who was going to finish the year at AAA. Um, but, Lewis has all the pieces there and the way they treated him so far. He has the history there of being a guy who could potentially move quick. So I'm going to be keeping a close eye on him you know, as the months come along this summer. I'll give you a guy uh, who I think is really on the fast track, and that is Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Didn't even see the minor. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we talked, Stop it. <laughs> we talked last week a little bit about uh, this guy. I think Brendan McKay has the potential to do this, and maybe it was two weeks ago that we talked about Brendan. But the – I think what the Rays want to see from him, he's 22 years old right now at low A and Bowling Green. And I think what the Rays want to see is the ability for Brendan McKay to be consistent and to be somebody who can go in day in and day out on the offensive side, start in and start out on the pitching side um, and hold down his defensive work at first base. I think if he shows that, for a consistent four, five, six weeks out of the gate, then I think Tampa Bay starts to look at that as, all right, well, let's see if this guy can do it against really, really good competition. We know he can do it. We know he can hold down some consistency in all those spots. Let's see if he can handle it against guys who are more in his age group, guys maybe more as advanced as he is, especially offensively. Brendan McKay has torn the cover off the ball to start the season so far this year um, and also has an ERA of two even and has struck out 15 through nine innings over three starts. Um, so I think even though he's being brought along slowly, I think that's going to take off rather quickly once, if I should say, the Rays have enough of an indication that he can really, really handle that workload and continue to be as effective as he has been in the early going. Obviously, it's such a unique case with him, um, but I think that definitely 
gives the impression of a guy who has advanced tools that would succeed right now in maybe Montgomery or even Durham potentially down the road in pretty short order so to see if the Rays are going to test him at some point in those locations uh, I think even maybe if we see him jump over Charlotte it's not out of the question I wouldn't think it's just how advanced he was coming out of school he's such a, a unique case in that not really many guys have attempted to do this the true two-way player thing so I think he has to prove that he can handle it all but when he does all the tools are there the skill set is there for really a lot of competition uh, against advanced players around him and against him and I think that'd be really fun to watch from the Tampa Bay side so uh, a couple of names to keep in mind yeah for sure and two top five picks from last year I mean it's it's no surprise that we picked both of those guys given the way they've started their career um, we're kind of projecting that forward um you know I, I i wish they would they would have been more aggressive with mckay to begin with um you know starting him out at class a advanced charlotte he's a guy who has obviously done very well in college on both ends so you know it, usually when they're really good college pitchers you send them to class a advanced usually when they're really good college hitters you send them to class a advance uh i know he's both and they're trying to figure that out but still would have wished they could have been a little bit more aggressive with him but given what the way he started at bowling green he'll probably be in charlotte in short order and then if he passes those tests the way i would have expected him anyways had he started with the stone crabs um yeah i i can see him progressing pretty quick this summer and hitting multiple levels like as in like two or more or like even up, up to three um, so yeah, I'll be interested to watch that, uh, for strike three, Tyler, we're going to turn this back over to you because you have a very interesting story that has gone viral in a way and in the best possible way. I think a lot of things go viral nowadays, you know, looking at Kanye West Twitter feed, um, in, in very bad ways now, but this is like a, a story that I, I want everybody to read. I implore you to read. If you need to stop the podcast, go to our website, go read this story, come back. So, you know, the backstory, that's fine. Um, but you have one on a very interesting broadcaster who's working her way two ways herself in Frisco. What can you tell us about that? That I didn't even think of that as a, a comp. That was so perfectly put, doing, doing <laughs> the two-way type of game as well. Um, yeah, Melanie Newman is uh, one of the radio voices for the AA Frisco Rough Riders in the Texas League and in the Texas Rangers organization. She is also the uh, sideline-slash-dugout reporter. I don't like the term sideline reporter for baseball because there are no sidelines, so we'll stick with dugout reporter even though I put sideline reporter in the story. Um, but, Melanie, that team – Frisco has 11 TV games during the season. And what's unique about Frisco in their television broadcast is it's not just overlaying the radio broadcast on a local TV station or some of the other smaller um, market types of broadcast that we see across the minors. Frisco's games are on Fox Sports Southwest. Texas Rangers games are on Fox Sports Southwest. Frisco's play-by-play guy for the TV games is Jared Sandler. He does pre- and post-game for the Rangers uh, during their games. And um, on the radio side, Ryan Rillard, who's terrific ryan is one of the guys who i think you really need to keep your uh mind on as somebody who's going to be a name that you get to know across the broadcasting world as he continues to grow in his career but um melanie's story is really unique in that I'm not aware of any other position in the minor leagues that is anything like this. And Frisco going into this offseason decided, kind of as Ryan put it, to create a number two position for their broadcasting department that didn't involve having two Ryans. And not at all a knock on Ryan, but the thought process from the Rough Rider standpoint was, why don't we get in somebody who has different skill sets? If we've got a broadcaster who's great at the statistical side and the baseball strategy side and being a traditional radio play-by-play person, why don't we bring in somebody who's got a lot of experience in digital media who can do some of the tv stuff who brings out some more of the the humanity stories uh or the the profiles about players and all that type of thing and they found melanie newman um melanie's one of the few people that I've ever met who makes my career path look very lame and pedestrian by comparison. I've had a ton of jobs and Melanie like puts mine to shame. Uh, and it's funny because I got a text from one of the guys um, who Melanie cited as being a really big influence in her career, Mike Farron, who is uh, the pre and post game host for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And he said, I wish more people had her drive. Um, if you go to her website and look at where she's been, it's like college got started doing some broadcast stuff in college for the Atlanta 
Atlantic Sun Tournament, then a summer collegiate baseball team in a, a league in Texas, then the Mobile Bay Bears. That was the first time she did baseball play-by-play on radio. Then for Mobile, she was in the AFL. She did stuff for the Arizona Fall League for a little while, did some sideline work on MLB.com, MLB Network broadcast for Fall League games. Then she was doing spring training stuff then she's working with the acc network then she's working with the big south conference then she's doing this and she's doing that like non-stop and it was funny because this is actually the story is quotes taken from two different interviews we had a, a really lengthy conversation during spring training last month in surprise and then i also got a chance to catch up with her yesterday before the story went up on the site today and we're recording on wednesday but hearing the stories about how she would drive you know nine hours overnight after hearing about a broadcasting gig a week earlier that she knew she could probably fit into her schedule she'd finish up one thing hop in the car drive nine hours to some place in you know pennsylvania knock out sidelines for another event and then be back in atlanta i mean just the hustle that it takes to do this in this industry is one thing to do it the way she's done it is another and i think the unique creation of that position is what makes this so fascinating and that's the angle that i took for this story the other angle of course is the fact that she's one of three women broadcasters in the minor leagues right now emma tiedemann in uh, lexington with the uh, the lexington legends and the kansas city royals organization and kirsten carbach who is in clearwater and has been there for a while as the lead voice for the threshers in the philadelphia philly system those are the only two lead female play-by-play voices for radio in the minor leagues and no television work uh for those games for those two broadcasters and so melanie really has this very unique um vantage point on the minor leagues from the digital side the tv side the radio side and i think it's very cool that frisco sort of thought outside the box for this um and i'm saying this as somebody who has been one of these guys and a part of a lot of these broadcast booths minor league baseball radio booths traditionally are two younger white males who basically have the exact same skill set and i think it's really cool that there are organizations that are really starting to look outside of that box because i mean that formula has been done in baseball for hundreds of years now uh or at least you know since the advent of radio which just feels like hundreds of years ago um but I think to have organizations say, what can we do that's going to be different? What can we do that's going to add a dimension to our broadcast that is going to make this product better is really, really neat. So the story's up on the site right now. Uh, Melanie was fantastic to talk to, and so was Ryan. Um, and the, the Rough Riders were great to work with for this story, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, and it definitely comes across. And th- these are like some of the unique stories that only happen in minor league ba- baseball. I feel like, um, and that's what makes our job so much fun. You know, there are like 160 teams that we get to cover, but, um, you know, hopefully a day comes where this isn't unique anymore. And that's exactly what Melanie said. And that was one of the themes we had in our conversation back in spring training. And the reason why I felt this was a more interesting story about the role rather than the fact that she is a woman in broadcasting in minor league baseball is the fact that it's so different and it is so unique. And, it really was a point of of focus in our conversation that she said it shouldn't be something that's focused on. Yes, it's a historic moment when somebody, and this is included in the story as well, Jenny Kavnar, who is one of the sweetest and most intelligent baseball people that you'll ever meet in your life, did play-by-play for the Colorado Rockies telecast on Monday against the San Diego Padres. She was the first woman to do play-by-play on a major league telecast since 1993 and that was oddly enough uh in a rockies reds game it was not on the Rockies side but she ends up doing it uh on monday and so for melanie and for i would assume for emma and for kirsten for a lot of other uh broadcasters around baseball to see that on a a regional sports network on a broadcast in which somebody like jenny is doing the play-by-play and to know yeah i could do that um that i think gives people a lot of a lot of confidence to keep going and believe me this is not a real easy industry to gain confidence to keep going and so those things are massively important but that was one of of melanie's points is her quote was at least the girls that i know we are not asking to be treated differently and that's what it all comes back to these are broadcasters who want to be broadcasters they're not broadcasters who want to be focused on as being women in broadcasting. They want to do the broadcast because they love doing broadcasts and they love learning about baseball, calling games, being a part of that role. And uh, it's so neat to me that this is 
being taken um, for now multiple teams as the new normal. And uh, haven't gotten a chance to listen a ton to Melanie, um, but she and Ryan, from what I've heard, are doing great together. And I also thought it was really, really cool um, that both she and Ryan talked about their process post-game. Every night when games end, they go back through the broadcast and Ryan will give Melanie feedback. They'll talk about what worked in the broadcast and what didn't. And that, I mean, when you're working as part of a broadcast team in the minor leagues, like the last thing that you want to do at the end of a game is sit around for another couple hours and talk about things that you did at work, knowing that you have to be back to the ballpark probably in nine hours from that point. So that work ethic, that hustle, and uh, the relationship already being forged between her and Ryan. And, you know, for Ryan to take on his own duties – guy who goes out and he handles road broadcast solo right now he also handles those telecast broadcasts when those are over on tv he does the radio side solo um so it's a lot to ask for somebody like that as well to be working as part of this newly molded um role and capacity in this media department for the the frisco rough riders so just really cool and uh and obviously a really tremendous accomplishment and they were all fantastic and a really fun one to write yeah and, and i think one thing you keep coming back to is you know we want there to be the day where these aren't stories anymore, where it's just, you know, somebody is hired and it, it doesn't feel special anymore because it's just becoming the norm. But like we have to go through this where, you know, other people can see that somebody like Melanie out there, your hustle will be rewarded. Right. Um, you know, it, it, so often and no matter what job we're talking about minor league baseball players for crying out loud. Like these guys are, are people who are traveling on buses and going to multiple places and sometimes signing with multiple organizations, trying to hope that it works. And the reason they do it is because there have been so many major leaguers for whom it does work. It works out. Um, you know, that that's true of all walks of life. People who are looking for that inspiration need to hear about it. Melanie can be that for, for people. Uh, and that's why these stories mean so much, just, not just in terms of, you know, it's in, inspirational to women or inspirational broadcasters, but pretty much anybody who is looking for, you know, who, who has been hustling for years and needs to hear that something works out in the end. Like this is this is that story for that as well. And that really is so cool. I mean, if you are a broadcaster and you can be somebody that a kid talks about as being an inspiration to get into a, a line of work. And Ryan mentioned that about Dave Niehaus, the late broadcaster for the Seattle Mariners. I mean, we all, people who went into broadcasting, we all have those people that we looked up to and the people that made it seem like fun for us, made it seem like something that we wanted to do. If you're somebody like Melanie or somebody like Jenny Kavnar, if you're Emma, if you're Kirsten, all these broadcasters who can set that bar um, for young women that are coming up behind them in the industry. It's just so cool. And I felt really privileged to get a chance to tell this story. And so that's up on the side right now. And uh, with that, we will wrap up three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. And we will talk about somebody else in the Texas league. The uh, Midland Rockhounds probably did not anticipate getting Jesus Luzardo on April 24th, but they did. They got the number two ranked prospect in the Oakland athletics organization. He made his debut on Tuesday night from Midland and we will catch up with Jesus Luzardo, the newest member of the Midland Rockhounds in the AA Texas League coming up next. This week on the MILB.com podcast, the show before the show, we are uh, excited to be joined by a guy who at the start of the season we thought had a very aggressive assignment out of the gate and has already three weeks into the year gotten himself promoted to the next level. Jesus Lazardo, the second-ranked prospect in the Oakland Athletics Organization, joins the show uh, fresh off of getting things started with his double-A debut with the Midland Rockhounds in the Texas League on Tuesday night. Jesus, welcome. How's, uh, I mean, I would ask you, I guess, how the season is going, but seems like it's going pretty damn well. What's, uh, what's this been like from your perspective these three weeks? I mean, it's just been a – it feels good and uh, happy to be out here and finally getting some good competition and uh, trying to prove to, you know, the team and to everyone that I feel like I can compete at these upper levels. Well, you got started this year on a heck of a good note uh, with Class A Advanced Stockton. Make three outings in the California League, an ERA of 1.23 opponents, about 120 against you over 14 and two-thirds. You strike out 25 against five walks and 14 and two-thirds. What has been the key to this so far? What's going well for you to start the year? Really just um, getting a good feel for all my pitches early. Uh, last year when I was coming back off Tommy John, is mainly, you know, getting the fastball in. And then I started working with the changeup more. And then towards the end, I kind of got a little feel for my breaking ball. But this year in spring training really works. I'm feeling that, like, feeling all those pitches early. 
So as soon as I got the start in the season, I just had a good command for all my pitches and was able to use them when I needed them. Yeah, and take us through that spring training. Um, you know, this is the first time you've really gone through one as a full participant, as somebody who, like you said, is, has been able to be a pitcher again and just focus on pitching. Um, you know, it's also your first spring training with, with Oakland after last year's trade. Uh, what was that spring like, and how did that set the table beyond just working on those pitches? You know, how did that set the table for what's been a really good first month? I mean, it, it really helped me just being able to be out there and, you know, be actually around the pitchers and, get like you know just talk to the older guys and and get some good uh some good advice from the pitching coaches and and when I went over to the big league side and talked to the big league guys and just you know get a good feel around those guys and that that, that really helps just uh hearing what they have to say they got a lot of experience and, and what conversation did you have with Oakland uh where they said like listen we know you know you've only pitched at, at Vermont that was the highest spot you finished last year but we're going to push you to Stockton to the Cal League, which is a hitter's league. Uh, when did that conversation take place, and what was your initial reaction? I mean, honestly, it didn't even really take place. It was kind of just like they told me, you know, this is where you're going to go, and and uh, we think that you can, you know, that that's where you should start. And, uh, I mean, at first it kind of caught me off guard, but, I mean, I was happy by that decision, and I wanted to show them that, I mean, it, they weren't going to regret it and that I deserved to be there. So when it caught you off guard, um, you know, what were you kind of expecting for this year? I mean, when you were, you know, preparing for the year, obviously health is the number one thing with you, I would bet. But um, when you were looking at what 2018 could have been, what were you expecting? And has this already exceeded your expectations considering, you know, where you are right now at AA? I mean, I definitely had like my own personal goals and I tried to shoot, you know, pretty high, but, um, I mean, I was just trying to stay healthy, and I, I, I mean, I personally thought from what I had seen, I'd probably start in, you know, low A, maybe get up to high A, but, um, I mean, I guess you could say I did my things, but then again, I did kind of set personal goals for myself that I wanted to, you know, finish pretty high this, this season. Jesus, when you are, um, you know, taking in, I guess, reflecting on what things have been like over the first couple of years of your career, you in 2017 um, are able to go out and get a handful of outings under your belt, 12 in total across three different teams. I mean, it's such a sprint even just to get started in pro ball because you start off in one organization, shift over to another, you have a lot of success across the board, and then you sort of get a chance to breathe over the offseason for the first time, and then you're right into the mix jumping over a level. Um, to be at this stage in pro ball and have all already seen so many different stops how has that helped you form a routine and be able to know what you need to do to get ready from start to start and prepare in between starts having gone through already five different stops in your minor league career yeah I mean definitely that helps um kind of helps you like you know as you said like get a routine and know exactly what you have to do that no matter like the move and and, and where you are on the road the long bus ride some of the plane um that's just kind of like you know in your head what exactly you have to do to get ready for the start no matter what no matter where you're going or or the adversity you're facing you don't have obviously a ton of innings yet at double a um but through that first start could you tell a, a market difference between what you saw in the california league against class a advanced hitters and what you saw last night against double a hitters in midland yeah i mean i could i could definitely say that um you guys have more of an approach up here um and they're not really, they're not really missing uh, mistakes with your fastball. I mean, if if you do make a mistake, leave a little pitch up, they'll probably you know punish you a little bit more than the Cal League. But um, I mean, they're good hitters over there as well. Uh, it's more of just more of an approach here, I guess. Yeah, and how are you able to kind of turn that, you know, in into what was a pretty solid debut last night? You know, five innings, I think only two runs allowed. Um, you know, at, at the start. You gave up a double. You gave up back-to-back doubles in that first inning, and by the end, you know you were retiring the side. It seemed like pretty easily. What, what were you doing last night against Corpus Christi and learning on the job, basically, to to finish off as strong as you did? Oh, I'd say that in the in the Cali, you know, I kind of like dominated a little more on my fastball. I can get away with it a little more, but I realized that here it's more of just like you got to mix it up, mix up the times. Uh, you can't just rely on like one or two pitches. You got to really be able to use all three and throw them for strikes and mix it up when you use them in the count. So it's mainly just mixing up the times, putting it in and out and all that stuff. 
And you mentioned before the development of your breaking ball. Um, I remember we talked in the off season and uh, I was specifically looking to talk to you about your changeup because that's such a special pitch. And for guys coming out of high school, a lot of guys don't have the changeup because they don't need it. Um, but that's a pretty solid offering for you. Where's the development of the breaking ball and, and turning that into like a third quality pitch that you're going to need, you know, a double A, triple A in the majors someday? I mean, yeah, definitely it's it's important, and that's what I really kind of, like, focused on in spring training. Um, but I feel like it's come a long way. Uh, last year, first year back off Tommy John, it was kind of just – it was kind of just there. It wasn't really too good. But um, lately I've gotten a better feel for it, and I've been able to throw it for a strike or in the dirt when I need it. So, I mean, it's just – it's getting there for sure. And what about it is kind of clicking for you? What are you doing differently with it? Is it just becoming more comfortable? Is there a grip you're working with? I mean, how does that kind of develop itself? Just, I think it's just become more comfortable with it, just throwing it a little bit more and, you know, practicing it um, in my throwing programs. I've just gotten a better feel for it in general, um, especially in, like, just bullpens and really working on it and, and just trying different things out and seeing what works. Hey, Zeus, for your um, baseball climb to get to this level of pro ball, you are a guy who has such a diverse um, arsenal of pitches and somebody who can, you know, work into the upper 90s. You can change speeds. You can mix things, all that type of stuff. You're also listed, I think it's 6'1", 205, um, which, you know, so often nowadays, even in the A's organization, we look at guys like A.J. Puck and Sean and all these big body guys. Do you think there's ever been – when opposing hitters come up against you, do you think they're caught by surprise by the fact that, oh, man, this dude's going to be shoving upper 90s in addition to breaking off breaking pitches and slowing things down with changeups? Have you caught people off guard in that way in your career? Not to say that you're a small guy, but baseball has trended so much toward these giants on the mound. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I've even talked to a, a couple guys I've pitched against, and they're just like, I don't understand. Like, you know, guys six foot, six one usually don't, you know, just don't run it up like that. And um, so, I mean, I guess you could say, yeah, I catch some guys off guard. And, I mean, I guess <laughs> nowadays that with scouting reports and all that, I'm sure that they kind of just know what's coming. Uh, as a uh, a Florida native, um, Jesus, one thing that obviously a lot of people got to know during spring training is that you are a Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School product. And uh, we did a story on uh, Rockies prospect Colton Welker, who was one of your high school teammates. You guys won a state title together. And then this February, everything turns into a nightmare. And I know you got a chance to actually be home and be at the, the vigil and um, try to you know be a backbone for that community, which rose up as one giant backbone for a lot of people around the country and around the world. Now that it's two months past and you guys are learning how to live in this new existence, what's that been like for you getting back into the the everyday routine of baseball while also still keeping this larger mindset of where you are in the community that you're a part of? What's that been like over the last couple of months? I mean, it's definitely uh, – at first it was kind of tough, you know, leaving home right away because it happened the day before – or two days before I had to leave. Um, but just being out here and playing ball, it kind of just helps uh, helps me. And, uh, I mean, I guess as uh, the community standpoint, I mean, I still talk to a lot of the guys, a lot of the students over there. I was pretty close with a lot of the teammate or a lot of the team that uh, is over there at Stoneman Douglas. So, uh, the coaches, and I know, like, they definitely look up to Colton and, like, Rizzo and, like, you know, guys that, that used to go there. So, um, it's just kind of, you know, talking to them and trying to stay strong for them so they have someone to look up to. One of the things that Colton said, um, we got a chance to talk to him, was that it's been great having you around, somebody that you can kind of be able to bounce stuff off of and, and have a relationship with that knows more of what that feels like than anybody else, especially the fact that you guys are going through the same rigors of your careers together and drafted in the same year. You're a third-round pick in 2016, and Colton, uh, you know, jumping into to pro ball and having the success that he's had as well. To have somebody out there um, during spring training, somebody that you were so familiar with and had already shared so many experiences with, how did that help, and what was that relationship like? I mean, it, it, it was big. Um, me and Colton, we've known each other. We played with each other since we were, like, eight. So, And it's just always been on the same team. So, I mean, we've we've had a good relationship, and uh, it was always good to have him around spring training. I, we hung out a couple times and, uh, you know, always texted. So, it's good to have a guy like that, and he's, like, in your corner, and just uh, whenever you need it, you know, like, we can just hang out, whatever, like, talk whether it's baseball or not baseball, you know, it's always good to have someone over there. 
All right, let me ask you this then. Um, with the potential that, uh, I guess at the next level, if you both make it to AAA, you could see Colton. He's in Albuquerque. You'd be in Nashville in the Pacific Coast League. Let's say you get a matchup with Colton. You don't have to give away everything in the bag of tricks, but how do you approach a hitter like Colton Welker and how, because of course we know that you're going to get him out in this scenario since we're asking you, how are you going to get Colton Welker out? <laughs> um, that's tough. We face each other probably like three times, and I think he's gotten to hit three times, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> but um, if I had a guess, uh, I'd probably, you know, probably beat him in and then soft away. There's the scouting so report, everybody. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's going <laughs> to spread like wildfire now. Everybody in, everybody approaching Lancaster now is going to listen to this. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll end yeah, on I'll, this I'll, one for you. He's, for a, a, he's a really good hitter, so, I mean, it, it's definitely tough. <laughs> Yeah, we've all seen that pretty well to, to start this this season for sure. Uh, we'll end on this one. Um, you know, we've talked so much about kind of your accelerated path now. Double A is a time where guys can legitimately start seeing the majors. I mean, guys jump from double A to the majors all the time. I'm not asking, you know, do you feel like you're going to jump, but how close do you really feel to the majors now? Is it you can taste, maybe not this summer, but like early next spring, um, you know, how close do you feel at this moment compared to where you were just a couple weeks ago? I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely a reality. Like, uh, people talk about it all the time. Guys go from double A to big leagues. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't know personally how close I am because, I mean, because of uh, like you know my age and my arm and all that. But I mean, definitely a lot. I feel a lot closer, and you can kind of taste it from here. It's a, a lot. It, it feels like a bigger jump. Um, like I'm closer now than I was definitely in high. So. Jesus Luzardo will not turn 21 years old until September 30th and is already pitching a double-A Midland in the Texas League, and you can find him on Twitter. He is at baby underscore Jesus9. And, uh, Jesus, all the congratulations in the world for all the success so far, and best of luck in the Texas League and wherever else you find yourself moving this season. Thank you. Appreciate it. The business of minor league baseball is up next as we welcome in one Benjamin Hill to discuss uh, a whole host of promos and fun things this week. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam, sending to my right. Hello, Ben. I feel Is that always the arrangement, Sam, to the right? No, no. no not really. Sometimes to the left? Okay. Yeah, we're, we're in different rooms. Yeah, we're in different rooms almost every week. I think today we're in 5Y for those keeping score at home. Yeah, and uh, it depends on which side I think is Ben's best side that day. So oh, okay. today is the right side. That's, yeah, yeah. that's helpful um, for mm-hmm. an audio podcast. Um, well, let's dive in, Ben. The, uh, the story coming up on the site, well, up on the site as of today, if you're listening on Thursday, the day on which this podcast is released, um, a cool one about a book titled Perfect Pitch by Joseph L. Price, who has uh, sung the national anthem for over 100 minor league baseball games and did that all over the course of one summer. Not only has Ben reviewed this book, Ben also blurbed this book. It's up on the uh, the Amazon page, a review from one Ben Hill, uh, along the likes of Ron Shelton, who wrote Bull Durham. So that's pretty cool. But tell us about this book. Yeah. Um, well, this is a, a story I kind of have a, a years-long connection to. And, yes, there will be a, a you know full disclosure in the article that I've blurbed the book. Uh, I don't want anyone getting the wrong ideas. This is no pay-for-play type operation. Ben did say he gets 15%. So That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke for the record. That was a joke. Um, but anyway uh, – Joe Price is a uh, professor of religious studies at Whittier College, uh, and he's actually set to retire very soon. And he has a new book out uh, detailing just what you said, Tyler. Um, In 2011, he traveled the length of the country and then some uh, and sang the national anthem at 104 minor league ballparks. And, uh, you know, I wrote about him back when he was doing it. I met him the following year. And, uh, you know, I think the book obviously took a little more time than than was expected in getting out. I think, uh, you know, I think he went through several drafts and, uh, you know, found a publisher. And and here we are. And uh, I just think it's obvious, you know, it's in my wheelhouse, as uh, we would say, uh, for those prone to use the word wheelhouse. Um, You know, this is literally a book about, you know, exploring America through minor league baseball, which is something I'm always trying to promote. And, um, you know, to sing the national anthem at 104 locations and hear those stories um, just from ballpark to ballpark, you know, with maybe a microphone malfunctioning or dealing with the feedback or the reactions you get from players or fans after the game. Um, You know, it's a real... uh, 
real American book, a real baseball book, and uh, I think something that uh, listeners of this podcast and readers uh, of MILB.com might find interesting, and hence that's why I'm writing about it and why I'm speaking about it now. And I'm sure he gets into this, you know, some of the minute details of all this, but how exactly do you get to be a anthem singer for like over a hundred parks? Like, do you just call them up and say, Hey, by the way, uh, me and my family, we're in an RV right now. We're traveling the country. Can you schedule us for Tuesday? Like it, it, it's a big event every night. And a lot of times these things are scheduled out well in advance. How did the logistics of this kind of come about for him in 2011? Yeah, well, he sent an email to every uh, you know affiliated minor league team, said what his project was, what he'd been trying to, what he was attempting to do, um, and he'd already sang the national anthem in 20 major league ballparks, and you know he really wanted to, he was taking a sabbatical and really wanted to do something unique, so he you know sent out the emails, um, you know I blogged about him at the time to try to get the word out. Um, you know, and then he would collect all the responses and then he, you know, basically got a map from AAA and, and, and mapped out an elaborate journey. Uh, and he and his wife, Bonnie, uh, embarked upon it, um, starting in April in Brevard County and ending in September at, uh, Inland Empire 66ers. Um, so there's a, you know, a lot of America, a lot of Americana within that journey. And, you know, he just did it, you know, it was the grind. Um, you know, it, 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 obviously he wouldn't have done it unless he had the itinerary set beforehand as opposed to just getting in a uh, – although that would be a good book too, just getting in an RV and uh, coming across a stadium and just stopping by and saying, That'd hey, you guys, cool. mind, you guys mind if I sing the anthem? Yeah, right. You know, probably a little less effective but uh, equally entertaining in its own right. Well, then the uh, book on sale now who does not get an actual 15 percent just to keep that clarified perfect pitch. The National Anthem for the National Pastime, which came out in uh, paperback last month. So you can check that out and uh, read the review up on the site. Um, and we will move on to things on the field post anthem. And uh, there's a, an interesting and fun theme taken over across some uh, minor league baseball alternate identity promotions. And that is one of whiskey. And I remember a couple of years ago we saw the Bowling Green bootleggers alternate identity on kind of a what could have been night um but west virginia is doing it uh i know that louisville is doing it peoria is now doing it whiskey themed is kind of a, I, I would say at least sort of an unexpected twist to all of the uh the alternate identity promotions across the minors what's been behind this yeah, this is my uh, last uh, – I was going to say my last episode of promo preview, uh, my last edition of promo preview. Um, and as I've mentioned on previous podcasts, I've been trying to, um, especially in the early going of the season, try to do uh, articles that just sort of compile trends. And um, so last week, the Louisville Bats – said that they are going in May, they're going to suit up one night as the Louisville Mashers. And uh, that's referencing, you know, a key part of the whiskey uh, making process in which you have corn mash, you know, and the, and the uh, logo is an anthropomorphic barrel holding uh, a bag of corn and a baseball bat, as of course you would expect. And uh, once the Louisville Bats uh, unveiled that identity, it just kind of sparked in my head. I was like, hey, we've kind of got a little whiskey theme going here a little bit. And, um, you know, Tyler, you mentioned the bootleggers. That is what kicked it off. That actually won the uh, Milby Award for promo of the year in 2016. And uh, this, this, they're doing it later this month, I believe, in just a few days this weekend, uh, Bowling Green Bootleggers uh, Part 3. And um, and then uh, last year we had the uh, Peoria Distillers enter the scene. And the unique thing about the Peoria Distillers is that's actually a pre-existing identity uh, for Peoria professional baseball that went back to the 19th century. Uh, so that's not just a it's not it's not what could have been. It's a more of a throwback. And this year there's actually a series uh, later in the summer between the Bowling Green Bootleggers and the Peoria Distillers that they're calling the uh, Battle for the Barrel, I believe. And uh, then in the short season, we got West Virginia Black Bears, who when they did uh, their Name the Team contest a few years back, they played their first season in 2014. Uh, Moonshiners was one of the Name the Team options that was not chosen. And so now they're doing a uh, what could have been type uh, night or weekend in July, the 17th, 18th, and 19th, uh, in which they're going to be the Moonshiners. So you look at these team names and you just see various uh, parts of the whiskey making process all illuminated through these team names. You have Moonshining, Bootlegging, Distilling, and Mashing. So uh, if you like whiskey, check out the story and uh, have a drink. Yeah, and can there be any other whiskey names? I'm trying to think of like what other, other like tumblers. Like what else do yeah, you drink? Tumblers. What's that? Drinkers. 
drinkers just, just straight up drinkers yeah dr- <laughs> i mean we're just getting more and more vague which is what happens when you drink you just get uh, yeah. drunks like what yeah um, I'm sure there's uh, other parts of the process that we are not uh, thinking of right now, but uh, you know, I, I also like that bootlegging and moonshining is like explicit references yeah, it's accepted. Yeah. to uh, I- illegal production of illicit substances, which is um, you know something we support in minor league baseball. <laughs> it's just very kidding. strange that we just embrace that era of American history as like, wasn't it cool when everybody was just breaking the law by brewing booze in bathtubs in the woods? Like, eh. Seems like a an odd thing for everybody. <laughs> just climbed onto us. Yeah, it seems like a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. It's a conversation we can save for another time, but it makes you think about things that are illegal right now that uh, decades true. from now might be uh, accepted enough to be minor league uh, alternate identities. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to leave that to everybody's imagination. One of us recording this show from Denver, Colorado. Um, ben, <laughs> in 2018, you will, for the first time ever, have uh, a partnership with a charity for road trips. And this is a really cool story, and it's up on bensbiz.mlblogs.com. But tell us about what you're doing with the Versus Cancer foundation for these road trips in 2018 right um you know my road trip season officially kicks off uh, may 4th with the delmarva shorebirds and um you know every year that i go on the road i, I like to have new components to what i do and uh, so this year it's really cool i've teamed up with uh, verse cancer which um is an organization started by an ex-athlete that um you know, fights against cancer, specifically childhood cancer and uh, pediatric brain tumors. And um, so obviously a very serious cause. But, um, you know, Rachel Mark, who works for the organization, uh, came from the world of minor league baseball. She worked in Charlotte and she worked in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. And, uh, you know, so she pitched this idea to me. You know, she understands the world of fundraising and the world of minor league baseball. And she says, how about a ra- raising awareness for this organization uh, through your road trip travels? And I thought that was a great idea, a new component and, uh, you know, a chance to do something good. So uh, I have a Pledge It campaign that's online right now, pledgeit.org slash Ben's Biz. Um, you know, I'm visiting an estimated 25 ballparks a season and you can pitch in uh, an amount of money for each ballpark visited. You know, if you pitched in $1 for every ballpark, that'd be a $25 donation. Um, so, you know, we just kicked this off a few days ago. It's still in the early stages, um, but I'm hoping I can get a lot of people to, to join me in this and at the end of the season raise a, a good chunk of money uh, for the Verse Can- versus Cancer organization. And then on top of that, um, we'll be reaching out to the minor league teams that I'm visiting. And hopefully we'll have a uh, charitable component from the team side as well. Uh, nothing obligatory, of course, but, you know, where applicable, uh, I think there'll be other elements to the fundraising. And the first team I'm, men- um, I'm visiting, the Delmarva Shorebirds, uh, have agreed to donate their Launchable proceeds from that night, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's a Saturday night. It's their Star Wars promotion. and uh, Or it's a Friday night. Oh, yes, it's a Friday night, May the 4th. It's a Friday night, but regardless, for a big theme night, Star Wars, they're donating the proceeds of the launch of all. That's a great start to this partnership, and uh, I just look forward to seeing it grow as the year goes on and uh, just trying to do my part. So once again, that's pledgeit.org slash Ben's Biz, and you can check out my blog, Ben's Biz blog, for a post explaining the partnership a little bit more. And uh, how close are you to announcing your designated eaters for, for the year? I know you got all your submissions are in. The deadline is passed pretty much up. Yeah, that's, all set, right? that, that's Friday. Uh, I plan uh, Thursday, the day this uh, podcast debuts. I plan on writing the post and having that up on Friday with this year's designated eater selections. And I know a decent amount of the applicants I got also listen to this podcast. So I just want to say broadly in advance, one, thank you. Um, I got more applications this year than I ever have. And the range of responses and the humor and, and passion put into them is uh, it, it's amazing to me because, you know, I, when I get on the road, it's, you know, just me by myself and I often question what I'm doing and, 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 uh, to see people like the designated eater concept and say it's on their baseball bucket list. It, it, you know, it gives me a little more energy to uh, keep doing it and hopefully keep doing it well, or at least acceptably. And, um, it was, it's been very tough. You know, I'm a sensitive soul and I hate letting people down and, uh, certain locales, you know, Toledo and Colorado Springs in particular, I got so many great applications that there's people I just don't want to say no to. And I have to, and I'm already feeling sad just thinking about it, but, uh, I'm trying my best and check it out on uh, Friday, uh, April 27th for this year's slate of designated eaters. Well, Hey, and those people still get a ticket and go hang out and you can catch up with Ben and, uh, and you can still eat the food. Just, uh, you can be like a shadow designated you can hang Absolutely. out and eat the food. You just might not get written up the same way. Absolutely. And that's a great point, Tyler. Everyone who gets in touch with me in any way, whether they want to be a designated eater or not, um, you know, if you want to say hello 
tell me what you're into, um, anything, uh, please do so. <laughs> do Sam's <it>. laughing. <laughs> tell me what you're into, you know, what book you're reading that week. Well, I'm actually interested no, in that, that sort of stuff. That's, that's so, cool. you know, go ahead and mock me, but I'm, I'm going – all right, well, what was that? My, uh, my very defensive, <laughs> that's why I'm not a lawyer. My defensive voice is, is a good way. <laughs> I'm the same way with that. Um, and if you would like to discuss a book that you may be reading with Ben, uh, Perfect Pitch is uh, for sale right now to tie all these things in in this interview. Benjamin Hill is on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. There you can get information on uh, the really cool partnership with the Versus Cancer Foundation and uh, find out how you can donate and contribute to the cause. And uh, Ben could be in a city near you sometime in the very near future. Ben, thanks. Hey, thank you guys. And uh, once again, I want to know what you're into. Hit me up on Twitter or email and just uh, tell me about yourself and your life. I appreciate it. Thank you. Once more, Jesus Luzardo on Twitter at baby underscore Jesus nine and Benjamin Hill is at Ben's biz. And a big thanks to those guys for joining us. Uh, Melanie Newman, by the way, we talked about in first segment is at Melanie Lynn. I believe with an E at the end of Lynn and then the letter N and the Frisco Rough Riders have a Twitter account for the broadcast team. And that's at Riders Press Box in case you wanted to follow along with that. If you're a Rangers fan or a Riders fan or what have you. And uh, with that, we'll talk uh, a little bit more broadcasting. MILB.TV is your place to watch the best and brightest of minor league baseball season in and season out. And uh, last week I picked... My uh, choice to watch on Milb TV that weekend, Mac Williamson of the San Francisco Giants organization was Sacramento, and I think he was gone like the day after. Not smart. But I mean, it's like, smacking homers in the big leagues. You did say people should watch him because he's very good, and it, you know you back that up by getting him called up. That's so. true. That is true. We could probably yeah. credit this to me. I'm sure they were listening. Sapien. <laughs> I like how you're Ryan talking Sapien yourself was- into it too. You're just like, yes, you could credit this directly. In fact, yeah. you should. Yes, this absolutely. The podcast makes a lot of personnel decisions around baseball. Obviously, I mean, um, we are called the show before the show. Like that's we, true. That's, that is literally our job is talk to talk about guys before they make the majors, and that just happened very quickly last week. That's we all. We called it. We called it all. Uh, yes. What are you watching on Mill TV this week, Sam? All right. Well, I'm going to tell you, obviously, to watch, you know, this week's guest, Jesus Cesardo, the way things are lining up right now. Nothing's really official or set in stone. Um, But my guess would be he's probably going to be pitching for Midland again Saturday or Sunday, uh, which would put him into a series against San Antonio for his second Texas League start. Uh, And why that's interesting. One, I think he's just going to miss Cal Quantrill who is right now projected to go on Friday. That would have been an amazing matchup between two top 100 pitching prospects. Um, So you can watch that game regardless. But the matchup I really want to see is Luzardo against Fernando Tatis Jr., um, who obviously is in that San Antonio lineup. Uh, That's where he ended last year. Um, Still only 19, but... He had one of the best social media interactions I've seen in the last week uh, over the weekend. Uh, Fernando Tatis, you know, off to a kind of rough start this year, and that was pointed out by Barry Bloom on Twitter, who said Fernando Tatis Jr. is batting 197 at Double A. What say you at Padres fans? Question mark. And Tatis, I don't know if he's like searching for himself on Twitter, which is never a great idea. <laughs> I don't recommend doing that. Or if he somebody pointed this out to him, whatever. Um, but he retweeted it saying, I remember this happening last year. Thank you, emoji. Oh, no. What am I going to do? And then three shocked emojis in a row. <laughs> we talk in September laughing slash crying emoji and then hand wave emoji. So he's Damn. not worried about himself. So he tweeted that on April 22nd. I on love April that 24th, kid. I love I love that kid. I love that response. Oh, yeah. If no, I'm a Padres fan, that is awesome. Yeah, no, he's excellent for that kind of stuff. Um, And so he tweeted that out on April 22nd. On April 24th, he hit two home runs. (laughs) His average is now at the Mendoza line. It's 200. But, you know, after hitting only one home run in his first 17 games, he hits two in his 18th. The kid's going to be fine. Yeah. He knows he's going to be fine. He has that quiet confidence about himself. Um, You know, I I remember over the the offseason, him and Bo Bichette had this, like, they were tweeting compliments at each other back and forth because I think Pipeline tried to pit them against each other, saying which shortstop project prospect would you prefer? And Tatis is calling Bichette Mr. 400, and you know <laughs> Bichette's saying all these nice – like couldn't love either one more. 
Um, and then to see that he, he is confident in himself. He's not just passing things off to Bichette. He, he knows what he's capable of. He knows what he can do. Uh, and he's starting to show that. So him going up against Luzardo would be really interesting. Tatis is a right-handed hitter. Luzardo, a left-handed pitcher. You would think the advantage would be with Tatis. But, you know, these are two really young guys playing at a high level. Uh, that'll be fascinating to watch. So watch it while you can over the weekend. I'm going to stick in double A. I feel like it's been a, a very double A centric show today, but I'm going to go to the Southern League. And uh, Eloy Jimenez is back with the Chicago White Sox double A affiliate of the Birmingham Barons, um, the 2018 future minor league home run champion. Uh, so far through his first six games, hitless in his first three. And then since then, he's gone four for 11. He had two home runs on the 22nd against Pensacola. But. Every game that he's played to this point has been on the road, so he'll get a chance to make his debut in front of Birmingham fans at home against the Biloxi Shuckers coming up in one of those five-game series that they do in the Southern League sometimes. Um, so that starts on Thursday and then ends on Monday, which is so crazy. And then that team hits the road for a five-game series uh, at Tennessee. But uh, to see Eloy Menez back and healthy is very exciting and, uh, again, very much in the same mold as somebody like Fernando Tatis Jr. I don't think a slow start is really going to bother Eloy either. So you can check that out at MILB.TV as well. And that will do it for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. Again, you can get in touch. Podcast at MILB.com. Sam's on Twitter at Sam Dykes or MILP. I am at Tyler Mon. And let us know uh, what you think, your questions, your thoughts, your comments, your concerns, anything you would like to know about the world of minor league baseball. Uh, we will do our best to get it to you. And uh, until next week, enjoy another fun week of baseball on Mill TV and elsewhere. And we'll talk to you for episode number 158 next week. Yeah.